This podcast is brought to you thanks to the generous support of Columbia Bank and Tacoma Creates. Hello, and thank you for joining us for Tacoma Arts Live podcast regarding our theater program, where we'll dive into the production and social positioning of each of our upcoming shows. It's great to have you join us. My name is David Fisher. I'm executive director at Tacoma Arts Live, and my pronouns are he, him, his. And I would like to acknowledge that today we are recording from the lands of the Salish people, where the Puyallup tribe currently resides and has for millennia. We recognize the injustice of the Medicine Creek Treaty, and we stand in solidarity with elders past and present. It's great to uh, have our second podcast. This Today's episode will focus on the play Grounded by George Brandt. It'll be running at Tacoma's Theater on the Square uh, from February 17 through March 6. We hope you'll come and join us, and today's a chance to learn more about this play and meet the artistic team behind the, behind the show. And in fact, we will be talking to director Brett Carr and our actress lead, Samantha Chung. We also want to thank our sponsors, Columbia Bank and Tacoma Creates. A little more on our theater program. We had been practicing and producing plays since 2009. More than 20 productions have gone under our belt. And uh, our trustees, our board, uh, came and said, you know, we love this program. We think it needs to become a permanent part and an expanded part of Tacoma Arts Live. So we began to produce live theater on a more regular basis, and we make a commitment to do so at the highest level possible, uh, hiring, paying all of the artists involved. Our vision for this program is first that we share the curatorial leadership of reading literature and selecting the plays among Pacific Northwest theater uh, advocates, and that we're focused on producing plays that engage empathy, spark community conversation, broaden understanding, bring joy, challenge, laughter, and catharsis for the audience. And key to the program is that we're involving more and more community via free ticketing that we share. That's sort of the core of our theater program. We hope you come and check us out. So today, we're going to learn about Grounded, the play by George Brandt. It's an amazing play. It features just one character, an unnamed woman who had joined, enjoyed a successful career as a fighter pilot, but uh, had, in the midst, been reassigned from the deserts of the Middle East and the skies over those deserts to a different desert, that surrounding Las Vegas. Inside a windowless trailer in this desolate, isolated location, the woman who once streaked across the sky faster than the speed of sound sits now remotely controlling pilotless drones for the military. And all of what happens to her brings a complex brew of emotions, politics, uh, and surprises to the play. 
It's a great play, uh, winner of the Smith's Prize for Political Theater. It was the uh, Fringe First Award from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, off the West End Theater Award uh, for the best production of 2013. And it was shortlisted for the Amnesty International Freedom of Expression Award. So it's got great, great credentials. It's uh, a tour de force for the performer. And so we're going to get to talk to Samantha in a minute. Uh, George Brandt, who the uh, playwright is. Uh, had his work produced uh, internationally by such companies as the Public Theater out of New York, Joe Papp's old haunt, the Atlantic Theater Company in Chicago, the Trinity Repertory Theater in Ireland, Cleveland Playhouse, the Ailey Theater, I'm sorry, the Alley Theater, Studio Theater, Milwaukee Rep, and on and on. He's really got uh, his shows uh, out there. His plays have been developed by the Metropolitan Opera, uh, the Playwright Center, uh, in uh, uh, Kentucky, New Harmony Project, Bay Area Playwrights Center, et cetera, et cetera. So he's got a lot of commissioning under his belt as well. He's been awarded all the prizes I just mentioned earlier and many, many more. Really a remarkable playwright and doing great work. But I'm very happy that today we have in the studio with us uh, our guests uh, and we'll get to know them a little bit. First, we have the director of Grounded, Brett Carr. He also serves as the co-producer for all of our theater programs. He's been a great partner for me and for our organization for more than 10 years. And we've done every production together, and he is just a hero as far as I'm concerned. He's been producing, directing, uh, and designing stage productions uh, for... Really, do you want me to say 45 years? That seems it's actually over 45 okay. years now. Man, yeah, just did you? I didn't see the walker come in with you, though. it's out in the hall. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Starting in 2009, we began collaborating, and together we've done uh, shows from The Final Toast and Educating Rita, Streetcar Named Desire, and on and on. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the play. Thurgood that we did together as well in 2018 because there is a uh, interesting similarity and challenge between those two plays. Plus, Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike more recently directed Art and uh, then co-produced Tribes uh, with us as well, most recently as our last show. So, Brett, thanks for joining us. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself? My name is Brett Carr. I'm the director of Grounded. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And we are in a studio at On Purpose Productions, and the room is relatively small with sound absorption. Uh, I am uh, wearing my traditional plaid Northwest outfit. Uh, Samantha is in a uh, Latino-styled uh, hoodie, and Brett is in a Maui dark green T-shirt. So we are sitting with music stands in front of us and microphones, and at the helm is our engineer, Chris. And Samantha Chung, who is the uh, only actor on stage for 75 minutes, no pressure there. And the role of the pilot is Samantha's acting debut with Tacoma Arts Live, and she recognizes that uh, this show is landing on the cusp of Black History and Women's History Months. 
She's a graduate of the Guildford School of Acting at the University of Surrey. Going to circle back and talk to you about that as we go. And uh, she's a theater maker with a current focus on learning more and more about anti-racism and trauma-informed artistic practices. Samantha is the founder and visionary behind Empathos Company, an independent theater company based here in Tacoma. And her work is influenced by Anne C. James, Nicole M. Brewer, Kung Fu Nuns, and the late Kristen Linklater, who we have in common. I studied with her for about uh, two months, I think, in an intense workshop. And then Samantha's anti-racist ethos is the center focusing on historically excluded people, specifically global majority folks, with projects that dismantle what has been the accepted narrative in the United States, which is a big part of what Tacoma Arts Live is focusing on as well. Samantha, you sometimes uh, go by the name of Chevy, and that is our uh, name sometimes for you. You are electing to use the your full name, uh, Samantha, for this play for a variety of reasons, and we uh, celebrate that. And occasionally, out of our own affection and care for you, we will refer to you as Chevy. So for the audience, we'll move back and forth. It's all one person. So it's great to have you here, Samantha. Thank you, David. I appreciate this opportunity. Let's start with you and maybe tell us just about your training uh, at the University of Surrey. Uh, tell us, you know, what was the basis of that program and how long were you there and what, sure. what were the big takeaways for sure. you? Sure. Um, my name is Samantha. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And to respond to this question, um, I, during my undergrad uh, theater studies, I had the opportunity to audition for the Guilford School of Acting, which is affiliated with the University of Surrey in England. And Guilford is about 30 miles southwest of London. And I was in their uh, acting program. And it was honestly like boot camp for me coming <laughs> from America and showing up and we could only wear black every day. They like stripped personality out. It was kind of funky and different. Uh, but that is where I uh, had a foothold into learning more about voice and movement. And it was a conservatory. So we were in training from essentially 8 to 5 p.m. Uh, with a lunch break in there. And we had uh, Shakespeare classes and voice classes. And it was fabulous. And people from all over the world auditioned to study there. So I made lifelong friends and learned a lot. And then still entertaining what I call my actor toolbox. So I might pull things out of the Guilford toolbox or not, dependent on the character I play because no two writers are the same and no two visions for the story are the same. So I hope that answers your question. No, that's great. That's great. Did you um, get out and see much theater when you were in uh, England to enjoy that while you were in your training? Yes. Thank you so much for asking yeah. that question. I saw, I kept every ticket stub. I think I have 108 <laughs> ticket stubs. Oh my goodness. I was there for almost a year. I was there for about 11 months okay. and absolutely anytime I could squeeze theater in, um, if that was locally in Guilford or in London, I had so many train trips back and forth, Friday, Perfect. Saturday, Sunday, sometimes weeknights. So I try to immerse myself in the culture and especially latch onto the theater culture. That's great. Was there a particular show that, you know, really blew your mind and surprised you? You didn't know theater could do that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's 
one of my favorite theater companies in the United Kingdom is a shared experience. And I saw a couple of their productions, one in particular, uh, Daphne, an adaptation of Daphne du Maurier's Jamaica Inn. Huh. The way they brought that text to life, the set design, it felt like we were reading the book on stage because I felt it through my own senses. They used song and dance and drama, and it was amazing. Wow, that sounds great. Cool. And um, what were, so you talked about the Linkletter School. For those uh, listening, Kristen Linkletter is a voice revolutionary uh, teacher, uh, really became one of the great uh, leaders in performance and vocal production uh, across the world. And uh, her work really emerged in the late 60s and uh, all the way through the 70s, 80s. Uh, and that's when I met her is in the early 80s. Uh, remarkable, remarkable teacher. And uh, so tell me what you got out of that vocal program. What did I get out of that vocal program? Well, I went recently in the last two years. So I went to study with Kristen Linklater at the Kristen Linklater Voice Center in Orkney. And Kristen passed away, I believe, in June of 2020. Oh, so it was okay. one of, in one of her last classes. Oh, my goodness. And I'm holding on to that. It was a seven-day intensive. And my main influences that right now are really helping me, uh, both as an actor and director, but mainly as an actor right now, uh, is looking at how the breath travels and how I can be aware of tension in my whole system. Um, because any tension is a waste of energy. It could take away something that I do for the character. So I don't want to let my own tension get in the way, which I'm working through. I think it's a life journey. <laughs> well, and that couldn't have come at a better time when you're carrying the weight of uh, one whole script on your shoulders. You know, it's hard not to be tense when, and I don't mean to stress that out for you, but it's hard not to be tense in carrying that. So, um being a performer in that experience, it feels to me as though you have to um, be able to to be aware of your um, uh, your instrument and let go of your instrument. Um, so, tell me about working with that dilemma of being aware and not controlling it, not being aware at the same time. Does that make sense? So I'm asking? telling you about this. I First of all, I just want to be expressive of the gratitude to everyone in the rehearsal room right now because they're a, a, a soft influence on the choices and the decisions uh, to kind of cut through my own tension because I can't see myself. Right. And I don't have a quote-unquote scene partner or anyone else. And so to really talk about the, um, marriage or struggle yeah. between the logic of, you know, advancing to the next uh, point the playwright's trying to make or advance to the next scene or advance to the next character. So that's like in the back of my head. That's a, a roar in my head. That needs to be quieted, and I think it will eventually. I don't know when yet, but I'll get to that point. So there's that in my head. But the other piece is like letting the breath and energy of the various characters and moments the pilot has that she confronts and goes through in this script that is so enthralling. And 
it is a it is a play of the mind and it is a domestic drama at times and there's just so many elements to this so finding the story piece and the emotion and that's really <laughs> where my work is yeah. in this moment and and for those who have never uh, performed on stage you are m- first mastering the language and there's this tipping point that you get to when you're mastering the language where um you've pretty much got it. You know, you can uh, get the words out without a problem. But then you're bringing your own interpretation, your psychology, the psychology of the character, and the emotional connectivity. And you're now then building on top of the language the hardwired emotional narrative of the piece, right? I'm imagining that's about where you're at right now in the rehearsal process. Does that sound about right? Yes, yeah. you are correct. How is that going? Isn't that scary? Doesn't it drive you crazy too, I, you know? I yeah. think for me, I think last weekend, I my inner critic was really loud. So that's <laughs> the other piece is I think we all have some version of an inner critic. Some folks call them their gremlin, but my gremlin was like like 90 feet big. I mean, if I, <laughs> and it was like, whoa, I woke up today and that went away. And so it's Yay. just a little bit with each day. Um, but that's where I'm at right now is the, yeah. <laughs> it feels like that on the inside. I'm sure that's coming through. Um, and so, yes, to me, there is an element of terror as a human. This has nothing to do with the play or being <laughs> this character, but there's an right. element of terror. of of, And it's a good fear, I would say, that keeps me humble because I haven't arrived and I don't have all of the pieces yet and to continually search for these moments. So it's good. And I have an amazing support system in the space, led by Brett, couldn't ask for a better team. There is so much love and care in in everything That's that great. we do. That's great to hear. Mm-hmm. That's great to hear. And uh, the wonderful thing that that is hard to remember but happens every single time is that you get over the hump. And yeah. then it, it does all fit together. And then it feels like an integrated human up on stage, right? So it's coming. It's coming, and it's going to get there, and you're going to do incredibly, incredibly well. Brett, um, this uh, challenge of working uh, in a theatrical construct with one character, this is not the first time uh, you've done this for us. You directed Thurgood, uh, which was the one-man show about Thurgood Marshall that uh, had w- the wonderful Eric Clausel uh, starring as Thurgood. And Eric, by the way, is the assistant director for Grounded. So that's uh, nice to marry you guys back together and get his support through this. How's, how is coming at a one-person show different than uh, other kinds of theater? It's um, scarier (laughs) because you have the support that you have on stage as an actor when you're in an ensemble, the nature of that support, the ability to pull the energy back and forth between those characters on stage uh, is gone when you have a single character. It has to come from that person entirely. The stamina that you have to exhibit on stage, you said 75 minutes, 80 minutes, whatever it ends up being, is, is incredibly tiring. 
and you have to pace yourself. You have to have the ability to know when to sit, when to move, how to move, how to pace that activity constantly. You can never let go of that as an actor on stage. That is not so when you have an ensemble uh, program. Um, somebody once told me the other actors are always on stage to pick up the slack of the mistakes that are made by the actor before them, which I don't agree with. But there's some truth in that. You have the ability to play off other characters' energy and you have the ability to play off the dialogue. If you um, lose focus for a brief period of time, you have somebody else reciting script for you that you can key on. When you're by yourself, there is no other person on stage. It's very scary. Yeah. And it's amazing at the same time. It's exhilarating. It is. And people use the phrase tour de force, but this is really the pinnacle of that because there is nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Sorry, uh, Samantha. Um, and um, the, the energy of that is communicated to the audience, and you really feel that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought as Chevy was talking, I thought back to my first experiences in seeing professional theater. I was blessed in my youth when I was... 12, 13, uh, to start going back to New York virtually every summer. And while everyone in my group was touring New York and going on circle tours around the river and so on and so forth, I was in the theater. And um, it was an amazing experience. And I had decided very early on that's what I wanted to do. But I remember the first time I saw a one-person play. And I had, I had seen other uh, one-person plays, though not professionally, but I saw Hal Holbrook for the first time as Mark Twain. And I remember thinking, my God, that's amazing. I could not believe that a character, after having experienced touring in professional theater, that a single individual could maintain that character for that long on stage in, to in totality and <laughs> come away so amazingly believable that it just transported you to an entirely different place. And all it was was one person on stage. There was nothing else there with him. It was all vocal control. It was all physical control. It was just remarkable to me. Great. So um, in this particular play, we move from uh, uh, in flight, in, in a way, uh, and the character uh, experiences, uh, or we understand uh, her experience as kind of a hotshot fighter pilot, right? So... What has that been, immersion been like? What have you been doing to learn a little bit about fighter piloting, you know, <laughs> which is everyone's day-to-day -day experience, of course. So, 
you know, that's a that's a unique and unusual skill set and uh, career. So how have you been uh, learning about that, Samantha? How have I been learning about that? Excellent question. I think to use what George Brandt has given us, given me, right at, right at the top, um, right in the character description notes, uh, George Brandt has uh, stated the pilot is... Um, at the top of her class when she graduates, she has a, a well-rounded education and she possesses heightened situational awareness. So that's directly from the playwright. So I've tried to focus on that. And then, I mean, universally, someone in that kind of position, I don't care how they identify, they are highly ambitious and unrelenting, competitive and a high performer. So it's like all of that chalked in to, you know, uh, being a, a top fighter pilot. Um, I look at, you know, instances where I've encountered some form of achievement and what did it take for me to get there? A little bit of that, but really to use the text that George Brandt has given us um, to look at this climb and this sense of achievement. Uh, and then something that Brett's reminded me of constantly is this woman, the pilot, is, is in a very rare population. Uh, and I... I have a statistic, but I'm not going to share it. But essentially, fewer than 3% of female, they're female fighter pilots. That's like how tiny the population is. So that piece of information coupled with what George Brandt's given is really stark, like ace fighter pilot. Right. Top of her game, as you just said. That's, That's great. And Brett, now how are you translating that onto the stage? What, what, uh, should the audience expect from trying to understand what that experience of, of being a fighter pilot is? Well, we've added some technical aspects to this production that we, um, we touched a little bit, as a matter of fact, with Thurgood, the use of projections. We've amplified that a bit with Grounded. Uh, so we have three projectors uh, doing projections on stage, which is complicated in that we are careful and aware that we do not want to make this a graphically visual show that competes with Chevy, but rather it enhances and it amplifies at times her emotions or what she is seeing in her mind and supplements her acting on stage. It's a very um, tenuous and subtle difference. And I think that we are succeeding in doing that. And I'm hoping that um, less is more in this Uh case because we are trying not to overdo the graphic presentation. But it is pretty dramatic when it does happen. So uh, what I'm hearing you say, you're not trying to put the audience into this fighter pilot seat uh, in any way. Instead, you're trying to give um, maybe a translation of the energy and the intensity and the emotion uh, of the character. Exactly. Uh Yeah. Okay, great. That is nuanced. And that's... uh, But, you know, like a good film score or uh, a good cinematography, 
we sometimes don't even notice, right? And so there is that subtlety uh, that can happen. And that's what I'm hearing you kind of shoot for a little bit. No, no, I, I think you'll notice the graphics, but at the same time, like I say, it's it. I'm hoping that we're not overdoing it. I, like we do not want it to be a a multimedia show. Right. Um, the script speaks for itself. Um, Chevy is doing an incredible job, and you know my job is to sit there and try to support what she is bringing to the stage as best I possibly can. And when requested, give ideas and, and, and help shape things. We have a set that is, I think, uh, startling in its simplicity. And I, I love it. Um, so adding to that visually and competing against it is not what we want to do. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is enhance it so that when people are sitting there and they see an image, it just simply amplifies what Chevy's already trying to communicate on stage or what she's visualizing in her head on stage. And that's, that's a very subtle difference, but I think it's also uh, extremely important Let's uh, talk gender politics for a minute uh, because we meet this character, uh, as we were just saying, at the top of her game. And she has clearly, as you just said, she, uh, Samantha, she has burst through to be in this rarefied position in a very male-dominated world. Um, what kind of challenges does she talk about facing and, and what is she going through kind of at the beginning of the show? I think uh, holding on to her rank and position and that's on the inside. I don't, I don't, I, I try to think through this as what's on the inside because so mm -hmm. much of this play is internalized that the audience gets to hear about. And I think being in this male-dominated system, knowing that she has to continually compete, like she's subject to continual stresses of this, um, that she sustains uh, in in such a way that, you know, it takes a toll on her. And so specifically to male-dominated, she's just out there and competing and showing that she can keep up and do more and continually do more. And <laughs> I don't want to give the play away or anything like that, but... Um, unrelenting to the point of her own demise. Got it. Yeah. That's a lot of energy right there. And um, in the midst of being at her peak, uh, is she married? I can't remember. Yes, yes she is married and uh, she becomes pregnant. Yes. Which is... Uh, uh, the quintessential plot point <laughs> and shift in the dramatic action of the play. So um, what happens? Why don't you just give us a sense of that? What happens when she gets pregnant and then her life to some degree slows down a little bit, right? Um, biologically, there are things happening to her that have never happened to her before. And she starts to observe these changes. And then she's in a long-term relationship and becomes a wife. And then there are these life changes that impact her flow with work. And this results in a reassignment. 
And I would like to add that this play was written, I think, maybe in 2012 or 2013. We're using the revised version in 2014. Since then, Air Force regulations and rules have changed to today, at least in the last two years, at least to embrace uh, women who choose to fly and fly pregnant until it's no longer uh, safe for them to do so. So a lot of rules have shifted. So we are operating in a very intense section of U.S. Air Force history with this plot, which I hope people find fascinating for, you know, what this character travels through in the play. Sure. And, I mean, Mr. Brandt, the playwright, is, has taken this choice, built this narrative for uh, a metaphoric reason as well. And so, Brett, what do you think this pregnancy and the fact that the peak of uh, being a woman uh, has as its uh, metaphor underneath this. Do you, do you have a sense of that? What, that? what that might refer to above and beyond just the literal sense of, of pregnancy and being pulled out? Well, I, I think that there's a sense... Um, the pilot in this production has to be better than the male counterparts to even be considered as a jet pilot. I, I read a lot of um, articles and part of a diary that was published uh, of female pilots uh, of this era that continued in the military as well as retired. And it was, it was fascinating how they handled their personal life and how that translated into either the end of their career in some cases or, amazingly enough, advancement in their career in some cases. Huh. And I think... Chevy's insight that this particular snapshot in time was at a crossroads of confusion in the military as well as in the public public's eye about several different issues that are addressed in this play. The fact that she is with family and becomes pregnant and then becomes a drone pilot and commands a drone. And the history of drones and how drones have affected the battles that take place over the sky now. And the attitude that the public has about those drones. And saving of lives and her dilemma of handling a drone as opposed to handling an aircraft, the physical aspects of it, what she sees as opposed to what she didn't see when she was a pilot, how she handles that, how that translates to her family because at that time and point, 
She is a mother, and it is constantly referred to from that point forward in terms of her identity and how she handles her family dynamics, in particular her daughter. I think that that's a very large uh, nod to what is happening to the public as we are dealing with the ramifications of what happens with drone warfare and how we handle that as a society and as a civilization. There is collateral damage. How do we take care of that? How do we take care of it on a family level and then on an intensely personal level with a drone pilot such as we are shown in this production? So. Yeah. So I just, I just want to go back for a moment and think about the irony of this female pilot who has spent her training, her early career, her commitment to prove that she can do everything a man can and better. And it is her motherhood that removes her from the system. It isn't some weakness that a man could be weak in. It is the beauty and the uh, miracle of being a woman that pulls her out of uh, this position as a fighter pilot. What do you think about that? What do you think about, and what does she have to say about that energy uh, and that shift and the irony of all of that? That shift in irony, I find approaching the text as the actor, what bubbles up for me is the humiliation, the shame, and to some extent, grief that she has to deal with um, that I find is, is in the script. I mean, it is so blatant. Um, I don't know the stages of grieving uh -huh. uh, on the top of my head right now, but I know she experiences that because she's experiencing the loss of this career and being in the elite. And now she's a mother and she has to find these ways of um, going back and forth constantly every day. And uh, what is that like? I mean, she's not experienced any of this. So she's experiencing a high rate of change in a very short amount of right. time that's super intense. I mean, I, um, I am not a parent. So being a mother is outside of my lived experience. So I've interviewed mothers. My own mother had me on an army base, right? Completely different woman and character, you know, nothing theatrical at all. So I've interviewed some women in the military and what's their experience been like? And George Brandt has done a fine job of bringing these tensions forward. Motherhood, home, the domestic peace. And, and she has to walk through the shame and the fall from something former that she held so closely to her. And she continues to try to perform in this new role that is so degrading. Yeah, but there's also, isn't there some kind of struggle that she's humiliated and diminished because she has to give up everything she's worked for? And at the same time, shame for feeling ashamed for being a mother, which is like one of the pinnacles of life, yes? Oh, yes. Right. Yeah, that is really, what a crazy emotional, dram dramatic situation that is. Yeah. So lots going on there. So she becomes pregnant and uh, gives birth, uh, is with her child and is wanting to uh, get 
back into a plane or what what happens? Then? Absolutely. She wants to continue with life uh, before her daughter and keep on going. And that, unfortunately, uh, due to the structures in place, the military structure and following orders and following rank and being outranked, of course, she gets a very specific reassignment for her from her commander that just changes her life ultimately. Um, and, and we see the aftermath of that change and that new reassignment and how that impacts her day to day. And that is to reassign her to uh, installation outside of Las Vegas in a black box somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Right. Piloting a drone. Yes. Yes. Thousands and, and thousands of miles away from where the drone actually is. Yes. Yeah. And... How is she dealing with that? Is this yes. Happened? So how is she dealing with that? I would like to back up to something that Brett mentioned mm -hmm. about uh, this type of warfare. And when she was a fighter pilot, she would just uh, fly over something, drop a missile or bomb and continue. The She follows and, f and forms relationships with these subjects or targets on the screen every day. These are people she can't hear, but she can see them. And so it could take weeks, it could take months to find the right moment to do, conduct a personality strike. And so she will trace them, follow them, trail them. There's an opportune moment uh, where she makes a kill, and then she may need to remain on the scene with her plane flying over and observing everything, and that aftermath is something that she didn't have to deal with as a fighter pilot. So this builds in a huge can right now. We could go in so many directions, <laughs> but just to acknowledge right. that, her injuries are unseen. And this is what George Brandt is illuminating. Right. So there's this narrative now that she gets to build with what she can see that is uh, getting into her head. Yeah. How are you depicting that, and how is that going to work on stage? What, where are we going visually with that? Well, this this is interesting because um, we talked about the structure of the play, and we have kind of determined that it's a memory play. Um, in that, um, we don't see a linear progression. This. The construct of this play is, uh, as I've said before, I think when I initially met with Chevy on it, was a stream of consciousness. And it's very difficult to translate that to an audience unless you have some type of a path. Otherwise, it's, it just becomes dialogue. And Chevy has done an incredible job at understanding that this starts in a memory and moves forward from there until she <laughs> let me step back a bit. In a one-person play, um, sometimes you don't address the audience. I believe most one-person plays that I've ever been involved with or seen, they work best when you address the audience, when you involve the audience, when you break that wall. They are your scene partner almost. That's even exactly though they correct. Even though they don't speak. Yes. In Thurgood, for instance, his um, the device of the play was he was in Howard University 
in a auditorium talking to a class and to various faculty. And therefore, he was telling stories and giving a lecture and so on and so forth. This is not that. Um, this production, I, th I believe that the dialogue takes place mostly in her head, and she talks mostly to herself from the beginning until almost all the way to the end, and then she begins to literally acknowledge the audience and start to bring them in. And that, that device allows us to, to connect with the audience on a level that her imagination is reflected technically in what we may do on stage with some projections and so on and so forth to enhance and to embrace what she's doing. But towards the end, the isolation that she feels, the fear that she feels, the panic that she feels, all of that begins to diminish and to go away because that's when the audience needs to see that it is just an isolated person on stage in a panic situation who has made choices and that is where we end it. Free from technical aspects, free from um, the enhancement of the visual, it is just an actor translating this amazing script at the very end directly to the audience with a warning. And I think it's incredibly dramatic if we do it that way. Great. I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Samantha, you were talking about um, the fact that when she's piloting the drone, she can see onto the ground and see life uh, happening on the streets or or desert uh, in the Middle East and um, you can't I can imagine you can't help but look at that and project story and narrative and character onto those people right right so how is she reconciling uh, that with what's going on in her own home not that there's a drone flying over her home but there's narrative and story and relationship and character going on in her own home. Right. So what what happens? What's going on there? Oh, my. That, uh, the question, you know, of how does she reconcile, I think she <laughs> reconciles this uh, disconnection at home or she reconciles poorly um, in the home. <laughs> So she's because it's, it's constantly running in her mind. She can't turn it off. Um, uh -huh. And and George Brandt shares with us that uh, she, at one point in her career, could transition once a year. Now it's all the time. It's every day. She's going back and forth. And so she doesn't get that time to herself. She gets her commute to work uh, to try to figure out how to slow down or speed up on the inside. And this reconciling, it happens... Um, she att attempt after attempt, and this is something the audience will be seeing this evolution or de-evolution or <laughs> decay or deterioration over time of 
how taxing this is. Wow. You just said something that I hadn't thought of before, which is a fighter pilot is uh, instinctively um, uh, adrenaline junkie, right? Yes. I mean, oh, my God, how could you not be? You're piloting this thing going thousands of miles an hour, dropping bombs. And uh, yet behind the drone piloting, where does that adrenaline go? Where right? does it go? Where do you, this training that you have, that energy that you have that is instinctual, where does it go? Yes, that I'm so glad you brought that us, this up. And I am not a mental health professional at all. But, you know, at a human level, we all have an amygdala and there's some neuroscience involved. And we see someone who is in pain, we're human. Just to put the play on pause real quick. We want to help or, you know, compelled to like reach out. We have empathy. Right? Yes, yes, empathy. We yeah. have that. And so... This character is staring at, if you flip open a laptop or a computer, she's right there. They cannot hear her on the other side of that screen. She can't hear anything. She just sees and This just completely overwhelms her. And so this empathy factor we find grows over the course of the play because of her life changes. Uh, but it is really enthralling to see uh, this empathy piece. Yeah. And then and then you just said this concept of, okay, so she leaves this isolation box of the drone piloting and gets in her car. Oh, my goodness. You know, and then now she's in another isolation thing processing and trying to – and then she has to arrive at home and be a human being, right? So – and this, I have to say, um, having known a number of folks in the military in my life, that juxtaposition of – military life and structure and in many cases violence and terror and juxtaposing that with family life and the structure of family life or the chaos of family life is so hard and there really is so little training and so little support uh, for our military folks uh, around that and it's it's not something that comes natural it's not like you can just figure it out, you know. It's it's super hard, and I I have a lot of empathy for military families and how they can be the crucible for all of that. And I think this play begins to depict some of that. Absolutely, struggle, right? absolutely, from the active duty sense. And I do want to give a shout out to anyone who has served in the military if they're post deployment uh, vet veterans out there, um, because what you what this is activating for me, David, is. Um, knowing that there's the trauma and and the stress injury, the post-traumatic stress injuries and moral injuries that, you know, for wars over 50 years ago that some people still hold and carry, it has to go somewhere. And we see where the somewhere is in this character in this in Grounded. Yeah. Even when we, I shouldn't say we, even when those who have suffered the trauma convince themselves, coach themselves, have the incredible capacity to be high-functioning and manage through all of that, it is still there. It is still doing them damage. And, you know, this play, I think, partly is trying to put a light on that and say, it's okay to confront this. It's okay to deal with this and take care of yourself and get out there and, and do what you need to do to stay whole, right? So... And we see the social interruption as well because at the, she's a pilot and she has um, other pilots that she has social 
gatherings with, I mean, at the bar and so on and so forth. So once a mission is done, she can socialize. And as a collective, they can release a lot of this tension together. But when she becomes pregnant and has the family, that social network disappears. And that support system that she has always had disappears. So even though she is functionally doing something that, you know, you could loosely translate as having done before, which is carry out these missions, she sees them personally, identifies with them personally, and then has no social or support system to enact or to act with past that point. All she has is herself, like you say, isolated in that automobile as she goes from Creech Air Force Base to the home. It's an amazing play. And it's one that begins to bring people into uh, the experience uh, inside a fighter pilot, inside a drone pilot, and inside the life of a mother in the military. It is one of the great things about theater that it can focus us down into seeing the specificity and the humanity of people that we don't often put all those pieces together for. We don't often consider these stories. And this play, I think, does just uh, an incredible job of it. Anything uh, that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Uh, no, not really. I, I'm just um, I'm just incredibly grateful for Chevy's uh, professionalism and her insights and her energy. Um, I'm just along for the ride in many ways, and it's it's just been a real pleasure. So, well, thank you, Brett. I want to send it right back to you. Brett is a creative who is just continually broadening and expanding like my view of this script and the character and what could be. It, there's always this keeping it fresh and open, which I really appreciate. And uh, I don't encounter that much as an actor. And so it's quite refreshing and energizing uh, to approach the script uh, in that manner. Yeah, That's great. Well, we at Tacoma Arts Live are really lucky to have you both working on this play that is just so powerful and moving. So thank you both very much for your contributions and your leadership. Chevy, anything that, I'm sorry, Samantha, anything that you want to uh, add uh, about this? Anything that I want to add about this, I believe there are universal themes in this script for everyone. If you identify as a parent, if you have a very intense job work life and you, you know, you have, you know, no commute to your home and, and you have a bad day. I mean, there are some themes built into this that I believe anyone in the audience can relate to. And please come see this play. All of you are invited. Come check out Grounded. We run February 17th through March 6th. That's great. Well, thank you both very much. I appreciate you joining us today. I want to uh, thank our sponsors uh, for the podcast. And behind much of what we do is Tacoma Creates, the citizen and resident-funded uh, program for arts, heritage, and science in the city of Tacoma. And Columbia Bank, one of the great uh, banks in the nation, and they are so generous with our community. 
Grounded, as uh, Samantha just said, will uh, perform in Tacoma downtown at Theater on the Square February 17 through 6. Tickets are available and more information are available at TacomaArtsLive.org. And next up uh, for our podcast and next up on the stage will be Anna in the Tropics, the Pulitzer Prize-winning play. Uh, and it's a, a terrific show. So you'll come and see that. That will open in April. Uh, keep uh, an eye out for that. We want to thank the audience for listening and remind them that all the recordings can be found online at TacomaArtsLive.org. Thanks again. by On Purpose Recordings. Created and produced by Chris Blunt. Mixed and edited by Joff Gibbs.